I love to read. I've always read since I was three years old. I've never gotten over it through five eye surgeries. Sometimes looking through a patch, I continue to read. I was told after my surgeries that I'd be able to see like I did when I was 20. I just want to go ahead and clear that up. It's a lie. <laughs> You'll never see like you did when you were young. But I still read. I've got reading glasses, and I continue to read. Early on in life, my favorite stories to read were adventures that included the scenario of someone that was trapped, and there was the protagonist who was the hero going after them. And the more obstacles between that person and getting the individual out of the prison or trap or whatever, the more exciting it became. And I grew up reading things like that. You did too. Batman, Superman, Captain America, Aquaman, all those stories are based on that. And many of the Disney movies are based on someone who is trapped and there's a hero going after them. Now, I have to admit that story wasn't, line wasn't created by us or any person. It's a true story. And the remarkable thing about it is God loved us so much that he knew that we would fail, but he didn't give up on us. He knew that the first opportunity in the Garden of Eden Satan had, he was able to deceive us. It wasn't the third one or the fifth one or the 30th day or the 100th year. It was the first one. And that's what's so sad about the story of the fall and the reality of who we are because it's not like we can live 35 or 40 years and then we oh, slip up and sin. No, we're born in sin and we continue to sin that's just a part, unfortunately, of our nature. And you can try as hard as you want, and you can come and pray every day, and you can just constantly be in conversation with God, and guess what? You'll still slip up in sin. And, it, and it's very sim simple why you do that, because we have a sin nature. Jesus died on the cross to save us from a lot of things. Number one, to save us from judgment, which is hell for the sinner. And because of that, the first thing you're saved from is that. Literally, when you ask Jesus into your heart, you're forgiven for that. But then as you walk with God over a period of years, you grow and mature in your faith, and you're saved from the power of sin over you. Doesn't mean you'll quit sinning. But you'll sin less frequently and it'll have less of a power over you because you have another power within you, the power of the Holy Spirit. This text today that Zechariah is talking about prisoners in a waterless pit and a fortress as well. By the way, when Zechariah talked about a waterless pit, you know what was usually in that waterless pit? Snakes. I think I'd rather deal with water, wouldn't you? But the reality is, he understood that we were captured and held. We're the prisoners. We're the ones struggling with that. And God cared enough to send his son to die for us.
The gospel, the whole message of the gospel is the passion of, of Christ to save us from something that's so horrible. You know, it, it's wonderful that a loving and wise God prepared before creation a way of escape through Jesus. And there's a reason why. I've had people ask me, well, how come it happened that way? Why didn't, why didn't God just say, zap, nobody's going to sin? Well, that'd be nice, but it wouldn't be realistic. Because you see, God created us in His image, meaning we, we have choices we can make. Now, I know it doesn't seem that way when you're young. I, I didn't know what to do the first time I went to a cafeteria when I was 15 years old and I had to pay. I didn't know what to pick out because I'd never picked anything out before. My mother would say, get that, get that. And she had this neat way. She could be talking to my dad and reach over. And when we got the, the pudding with the little cherry and all that, she'd just reach over and put it back because we weren't getting that. We got jello. We weren't getting anything fancy. All my choices were made for me. I remember when I got my first job. I was 12 years old. I worked for V.J. Elmore 5 and 10 cent store. Now, I'll have to admit, my kids have asked me, what did people buy for 5 and 10 cents? A lot back then. But I can remember coming home with my first check. And my mother looked at me and she said, oh, that'll go a long way to buying you a pair of blue jeans. I think she probably said dungarees. That's what we called them back then. And I said, I've got to buy those myself? She said, yes. That's what growing up means. I didn't like growing up, by the way. I, from that point forward, I had to pay for things. And, you know, I looked at that and I thought about what that was, was, was doing to me. And I thought, no, that's not what I want to be. I don't want these choices. But the reality is, God had to give us a chance to choose. Because love is a choice. No one can make you love them. You have to choose to love them. And in order for us to worship God, we have to be able to choose to worship Him. But unfortunately, in the garden, Adam and Eve chose the wrong thing. Rather than listening to God, they listened to the serpent. And there are 10,000 voices that speak to us now that we listen to and we shouldn't. I'm so glad in the wisdom of God, He did that ahead of time. And I'll tell you why. There are a lot of diseases in this world and viruses, bacteria, and cancers all around that affect us. Asthma, polio, e Ebola, diabetes. MS, and any number of cancers we're trying to defeat today. Many of you give to many of these causes that do research to overcome diseases that are debilitating and that kill us. We're trying the best to do that, but we're still struggling. I'm so thankful that God, before we were created, found a way of escape. He did not wait until we found ourselves in despair. He did not let the first thousand years of, of humanity drift into hell with no hope. No, He didn't do that. He prepared a way of escape. And it was so significant that He told those before Jesus that if you will sacrifice and believe that there's a coming Messiah, you will be covered you will be protected.
by the offering that he will give. And, and irony of ironies, the first thing that Jesus did when he died, and he, that last drop of blood left his body, and he said, it is finished. The first thing he did was he claimed those that had died that had believed in him before that. They were his. And he made sure that they entered heaven with him from what they called uh, the bosom of Abraham. Jesus loves us so. And on this Palm Sunday, I want to think about who Jesus was then. Because it was a dark world that he came into, a broken world, a, a sad world, a world of confusion and frustration and anxiety. Sort of like our world. And people were looking for hope and help. Jesus had appeared on the scene about three years before his crucifixion. And he went about speaking to people and talking to them. He didn't claim that, that he was the future for everybody. No, he, he reached out to people. He did some remarkable things. One occasion he fed 5,000 families. Another time 4,000 families. He calmed storms. He, he healed the lame. He raised the dead. He did all sorts of things to let people know who he was. And strangely enough... Those miracles were performed for one group of people, the Jews. Because God had a beautiful plan. Here was his plan. He said, I'm going to send my son into the world, and he's going to spend his ministry reaching out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And my plan is for them to see that he's the Messiah because they've been reading about it for 1,400 years in prophecy. And I'm going to clearly lay out who he is. Now, granted, Jesus was not riding in on a donkey because that was the only transportation. But if you remember back in the day, like in the day of David and Saul and Solomon, a king rode on a donkey. That was a royal animal. I can't think of a donkey as being a royal animal. We've watched too many westerns with Clint Eastwood to think a donkey is anything good. We want a quarter horse. But he introduced himself as a king for a reason. He fulfilled those prophecies. He was the one that demonstrated that he was the one. And had Israel have accepted him and come to him, they would have become a kingdom of priests. They would have gone out to the world. There would not be a need for missionaries today because the Israelite people would have gone out and they would have reached the world, telling them the story of the Messiah. But as you know, Scripture says it plainly, he came into his own and his own received him not. They rejected him. It's an amazing thing to think about rejection. It's a sad thing. We've all gone through rejection before. We've all had those job applications, and they said, we'll call you back. And what do you get in the mail? But a letter that says, thanks but no thanks. Many of us applied for schools and were declined. We've wanted to do certain things, but it didn't work out that way. And yet Jesus did not give up. God did not say, 
Because you have failed my son and, and you killed him, therefore I will reject all of you. I will punish you. You'll all end up in torment. And my son will be exalted alone with me and with the Holy Spirit. No, he didn't do that. He had a plan that was a wonderful plan. I'm glad that early in my life I had people that loved me enough that when I failed they picked me up and dusted me off and put me in the right direction. I'm glad that I had folks that cared about me enough to do that. And I know all people who are compassionate like that follow in the footsteps of God in His compassion for us. One thing's for sure, Jesus did not fail when He was crucified. He was crucified so we would not fail. And in dying for us, he took on our sins. He didn't just take on the sins of the elect. He took on the sins of every person that would ever live. Because his goal was not just to get the people that believed in him into heaven. His goal was to restore creation to where it should have been. Now in this room are a lot of farmers and I, I love farmers. I, I grew up on a farm. And I think farming is probably one of the most spiritually close practices you can perform that's close to the heart of God. Because remember, Adam was a farmer. But here's the reality. The curse brought upon farmers difficulty. It's not easy to farm. You can do everything right and still fail. A lot of the best farmers I know went broke. But here's the truth. God rewards us for being obedient. And he expects us to be obedient no matter what. No matter what. Because Jesus was obedient to the cross. Now what did Jesus claim? He claimed very simply that he was a king. And they knew that. He rode into, into Jerusalem, a city that most people wouldn't want. It was full of corruption, it was, it was dominated by the Roman Empire, there was graft and thievery and just all sorts of horrible things there. Who would have wanted it? Why not go and start a new city? But you see, that's not how God works. The disciples thought, surely Jesus will take over the Roman Empire and remake it. They didn't understand the truth about society. We've got a new administration in Washington and they're throwing out the old and bringing in the new and the new is already failing because they have missed something that's been missed for 6,000 years among humanity. You can change agencies and entities and corporations and cities and nations and empires all you want. But the problem is not the structure. The problem's the human heart. That's where the failing comes. I've read thousands of books about many people who have created ideas and governments and political thought. And one of the ones that always touched me was, was uh, the book Mein Kampf or My Struggle by Adolf Hitler. As I read around the life of Adolf Hitler, he did not start out to be someone that wanted to commit genocide against Jewish people. In fact, his grandmother on his father's side was a Jew. But he grew up and he became bitter when he saw something that he indicated 
was caused by Zionism. In the political movement, Zionism had nothing to do with Jewish people in total back then. But he became angry and bitter. And he allowed that bitterness to foment in his heart and to develop. I've always said Mein Kampf or my struggle, it was not over political systems, but it was over heart, whether or not you should lean to God or to the devil. And no matter what he said, he yielded to the devil, and Satan used him in a mighty way. I'm fearful of people that allow bitterness to define who they are. We're in a world today where people are looking for someone to blame and a group to hate. That never solves anything. In fact, the reality is all human hearts are broken, and they all need hope. Don't look for someone to blame. Look for a Savior to redeem. And that is the only way you will ever get beyond that. Now I want you to notice how Jerusalem responded to him. They, They wanted no part of him. He did not offer them what they wanted. Jerusalem had seen many, many leaders over the years. They all marched into Jerusalem. They all stated their authority. Alexander the Great, Demetrius, Miladates, all these people marched in and were great men. But Jesus came in lowly. He was offering something that they had not seen before. Forgiveness. Something that they really didn't understand because you see, to be forgiven, you have to first say, I've sinned. And sometimes arrogance takes over our heart and our life. I've gotten to the age where I go back and I listen to music, and unfortunately your iPhone has a way to go in there and pull up a song, and 25 people who've sung it, but you can pay for anywhere from 99 cents to $1.49 for that song. And it's amazing how many songs you can buy. And I pulled up a song the other day that I thought about that I remembered from when I was young. A song entitled, One Ten Soldier. Now that song was a counterculture song, a protest song about what was going on in Vietnam. And I don't want to get into that. I, I didn't agree with Vietnam because it was not a war that was winnable for anybody. I think it was a, it, it was a war to generate income for various entities. And many young people died. I have two cousins whose names are on the wall. We never found them. It was a horrible war. It, in many ways, changed America. But in that song written by Dennis Lambert and Brian Potter and sung by a Canadian group, the original cast, it gives a very simple description about a war or a battle over something. And the something was hidden away in a treasure uh, area of a castle. And one group in the valley wanted to get what they had in the castle. And they never said until the end what really the thing was that they defeated and killed off a people to get. But at the end of it, it was just a stone. And upon it was written these words. It gave the reality that there was nothing there to possess. No money, no riches, uh, no power, no land, nothing like that. It said one thing, peace on earth. That's all it said, peace on earth. 
Now, I liked that song growing up, and I listened to that song, but I've changed drastically about that song, and I'll tell you why. In this 21st century of demagoguery and political ploys that the media uses so effectively, I realize this. They were trying to give a very simple answer to a complicated question. How do you end war? You don't end war with peace because peace is not something that's created. There have been peace treaties signed between Israel and its surrounding nations over 72 times, but yet peace doesn't really exist. You see, peace doesn't begin in, in the a head of state or a parliament doesn't begin with something written on paper. It begins in the human heart. And it begins with forgiveness. Not you just receiving forgiveness, but offering forgiveness. In the world that we live in, with all the technology that we have, we're very primitive. In fact, we're beyond primitive in understanding forgiveness. The, the woke culture believes that if they see you as an enemy, they destroy you. You can be totally wiped out. This week we have seen a, a media personality in the UK destroyed because he dared speak up and, and say, look, my eyes are seeing this and this is wrong. He was destroyed. I tell you the truth, nations will fall over this. Cultures will be hamstrung. And America may be brought to its knees. But don't despair. Because the work of Christ goes on. Jesus appeared in, in the most broken society, and yet the gospel spread. A hundred years after Jesus went back to heaven, 20% of the Israel nation were Christians. And they traveled out to spread the truth. The diaspora was not about the dispersion of the Jews from Palestine. It was God's way of getting them out with the story of Jesus. And I challenge you not to give up. Our brightest days are ahead. We're not afraid of what's happening. No, in fact... God's prepared us for this long before this day came. Nothing, nothing we see has caught him by surprise. So, dear friend, wave your palms. Celebrate over the next week. We have a lot to be thankful for. Praise God. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you just bless us today as we seek your direction and guidance. Because, Lord, we are your hands and feet. We want to be a part of the truth being assimilated to those who are hurting and helpless. We know that we have an opportunity, and we want to be used by you, Father. So speak to us right now. Give us a direction that will be powerful enough for us to go after and to change the world that we're in. For each of us is called with our own ministries and our, our own abilities, and may we use them even now. Father, speak to someone this morning that as we consider the beginning of Holy Week, may they realize that this is the time for them to confront the need for commitment in their hearts.
the decision's not made by government or entity. It's made in our heart. And it's sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we must be committed to that even now. Father, you've called us to do that. We won't be judged by whether or not we were a good citizen or we won yard of the month or we were a good employee. We will be judged for what we did with the name of Jesus in our lifetime. Father, speak to us now and give us the direction we need. And may we be found faithful even now to all that you call us to do. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.